All right. We'll see how that goes. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Move close. Move close, if you would, please. I know the auditorium lends itself for people spreading out, right? We're going to try to keep it as, as close as possible. Um, no, no back row Baptists in this class this morning, but anyway, so as some of you may or may not be aware, um, our men's class here, we're going to start to study the life of Christ. Uh, I have a question. How many of you guys have ever like studied the life of Christ in a, in a maybe a formal, informal manner, like maybe a class or maybe like a Sunday school class or maybe just something you did on your own? Anybody ever like go through life of Christ? Mike, you have? Okay, great, great. Was it like a Sunday school class or was it a Bible class in college? Okay, really cool. Uh, what, uh, did you find it profitable, helpful? Okay. Any particular, I'm kind of picking on you and I appreciate you volunteering. Anything, any one thing you found that was particularly helpful with that? This one teacher was very, uh, examining the humanity of Christ. So he really liked to break out that Jesus was not Clark Kent, but underneath we knew he Superman. So he really had a little second hand that's kind of one of the themes that I always noticed. Yeah, absolutely. That that theme is something that a a, a man who I uh, who I've gleaned a lot from and had the opportunity to uh, hear it at the former church I was at is something I'd like to ask you about that afterwards. But uh, who was in was name? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, okay. I'm just gonna be right up front. All right, I'm just gonna get it all right out right now. Doug Bookman is absolutely amazing in the life of Christ. Just, just Google him. I'm serious. Like, like Google him. Google Doug Bookman. He's got a website, Doug Bookman Ministries. You scroll down to the bottom of the page. He's got a drop box with the life of Christ. You open that up. You intake that. You don't even need to come to this class. You're done. All right. <laughs> What's that, Mike? Yeah. Absolutely. And that was uh, that was immensely helpful, I think, for the church. But no, he actually. So just to kind of be a little up front in college, I had a life of Christ class, uh, not by him, but uh, it was very, very helpful. And then um, at previous church I went to, Doug was uh, invited and went through the uh, Passion Week of Christ. And it's just absolutely riveting. It really is. It's just absolutely amazing. And when you study the life of Christ, um, in such a way, you really, things really do change for you. How, how you read the word, it, it really, it really does. I know that's kind of something that's kind of thrown out, like, you know, oh, study this, your view of the word will change, but I hopefully, I, uh, I am, I could be prone to hyperbole, but I, I think that really is, really is the truth. When you study the life of Christ and just how absolutely amazing it is, it's just incredible. Yeah, but yeah, Doug Bookman, uh, look him up. You, you won't be disappointed. All right. But moving on, you're just, we're just going to have to, uh, use my feeble attempts to try to study life of Christ and then your own valiant study attempts as well. But in any case, it is uh, very important, but we're just going to just kind of do a intro this morning about studying the life of Christ, what the class is going to be about. And uh, why we should study it. I think we should have some sort of apologetic for that, why we should study life of Christ. So let's open our Bibles, if you have them, because we're going to be flipping around quite a bit. Why should we study life of Christ? Let's go to John 17, verse 3. 
John 17 and verse 3. And I want to say at the outset, and we will uh, reiterate this as we move on, I want us to be able to interact and engage. Now, uh, I think in weeks to come, I will implore you to sit closer because we can have more of that group feel and that vibe, if you will. But this week, you know, let you guys spread out a little bit more. But I want us to be able to interact and ask questions and engage. So we're going to test that right off the bat. Who would like to read John 17, 3 for us? You're just not hearing me the whole time. Johnny, please. All right. So why should we study the life of Christ? Well, right off the bat, to know Christ is to have eternal life. I mean, right there, right there in verse three, right? And this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. To know Christ is to have to know Christ is to have eternal life. And guys, men, let's just face it. We're going to be spending eternity with this one. Amen. Oh, I look forward to that day. Amen. I mean, right. I mean, we are with him now in union with him, but we will see him face to face. And I think it would be a disappointment. Now, there's going to be an eternal learning curve we're going to have, right, to know more about our, our God and our great Savior, Jesus Christ. But we should do as much prep work, I think, before we get to that point and study and know who he is, I think. Amen. Amen. We should we should do that. So to know Christ is to have eternal life. So to know more about this eternal life, we need to know him. Right. And we can study all kinds of things about Christ. Right. Like we could talk about um, his deity. Right. How he's God, very God. Or, uh, or that hey, he's a man, right? That he is, uh, very much human, right? He's truly God and truly man. And we can talk about how those interplay in his one person. And that's something that you'll never get to the bottom of because he's the only person ever who's both God and man, right? United. That's just an incredible mystery no one's ever going to get to the bottom to. But we can, we can try it, right? We can try to get to the bottom of that. We can study a lot of things, but studying these gospels and this life of Christ is something else we could do to know more about our Savior and know about the eternal life that we have in him. Okay, secondly, what else? Why else should should anyone study the life of Christ? Colossians 2, verse 3. All right, would somebody volunteer to read that? Thank you, brother. In him are in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Thank you, brother. Okay, so in Christ, what is in Christ? What's hidden in Christ? What's it say? Treasures in wisdom. And knowledge, right? Right? How many of them? All. All of them. All of them. If you know Christ, you have access to all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All of them. I mean, you could you could spend an undetermined amount of time thinking about that verse. 
And if we really believe that, how equipped will we be to live this life? Thoroughly equipped, wouldn't you say? What's the world say? No, no, you need to know this and this and this. And and you could just keep naming all sorts of examples, right? What the world says you need. It's not what this book said. It's not what God said. If you have Christ, in him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You can't know anything rightly. You can know things, but you can't know anything rightly without Christ. Nothing. And if that is true, then we should be busy about digging into finding more out about our Lord and Savior. Wouldn't you say? All right. Why else should anyone study the life of Christ to understand the scriptures to understand the scriptures okay we've got three passages uh would somebody look up Luke 24 44 through 45 Luke 24 44 to 45 all right and then somebody else take John 14 26 who's going to take Luke 24 and read that need a volunteer thank you Keith all right John 14, 26. Who do I have a volunteer to read that? Thank you. Thank you, Jonathan. And then the last one, John 16, 12 through 15. Who, who do I have for that? Thank you, Mr. Jackson. Appreciate it. Why should anyone study life of Christ? To understand the scriptures. And we'll see that right here. So who's got Luke 24, 44 through 45? Yes, Keith, go. All right. So we I referred to this uh, last week when we were uh, together talking about uh, Christ in the New Testament, the Messiah in the New Testament. And. um, And this passage here, okay, this passage here is basically saying that that all. That all the scriptures in the Psalms, right, we talked about the writings. Remember, we had that divided up right a couple weeks ago. And the prophets and the law had to be fulfilled in Christ. So the Gospels, the life of Christ, the life of Christ is fulfillment of these scriptures. So as we study the life of Christ, when we're studying the life of Christ, we're going to be seeing the fulfillment of those scriptures. John 14, 26. Who do we have who had that? Oh, John. Yes, please. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Okay. All right. So when we study the Gospels, when we study the Gospels, when we study the life of Christ, what we're going to see is what the Holy Spirit brought to the disciples and the apostles' remembrance to record and to write down. That's what we're going to see. Now, we're going to talk about a harmony here in just a little bit. 
But just to, to say that in the Gospels, right, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in these four Gospels, right, is a, is a divinely inspired record of the earthly ministry of our Lord, right? And suffice to say that these men who wrote this, their job was to not give a detailed, exhaustive account of everything that Jesus did, right? Because would that even be possible? Probably not. Not unless the Holy Spirit, you know, had them dictate every single thing, which is possible, right? Divinely possible, but that's not the way the Gospels work. They're divinely inspired records, and they have a theological purpose. Every author has a purpose for which they're actually writing, to make a point. Any, any guys here uh, can think of a verse in the Gospels that you know of where the author actually states the point why he's writing the Gospel. And you can think of just right off the top of your head. John, what is it? What is it, Michael? What's the verse? Yeah, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, right? John gets his pet right out there, right? Right out there. That's his purpose for writing the book. All right, who's got uh, John 16, 12 through 15? Yeah, John 16, 12 through 15, that's right. Thank you, brother. So we talked about last week how these passages here are the are the uh, authorization of Christ. How he's pointing to the future, how he's going to have these. He's going to the Holy Spirit's going to bring to remembrance right the things that they did, and to reveal more of what Christ wants to teach. Right, Christ is not done teaching the church. That's where you get Acts and the epistles, and then he tells us the things that are to come which I believe is referring to the book of Revelation. So the rest of the New Testament, right, is validated, comes from the mouth of Christ himself. And it's stated right there in this passage. So to un- so we study the life of Christ in the Gospels to help us understand the Scriptures. The Old Testament, right, and it's pointing forward to the Messiah, who the Gospels say, this is who the Messiah is, Jesus of Nazareth. This is him. And it shows the beginning of the fulfillment of all of what the Old Testament says. And then the, then the rest of the New Testament is a result of what Christ does in the Gospels. So really, in a sense, if you want to look at it this way, the Gospels are critical to in correctly interpreting the whole of Scripture. So I don't know about you, but for me, I want to know how to understand this book better. How about you? And to know that, I th- and to know it better, not fully, but better, I think we can, I think a study of the life of Christ would be beneficial. So our third point, we people can study the life of Christ to understand the scriptures better. What's the Fourth, 
to glorify the Son through the study of his humiliation. We can study the life of Christ in the Gospels to see how the Son is glorified even through his humiliation. And when I say his humiliation, I'm not just talking about the cross. I'm talking about his whole earthly life and ministry, right? Because in a way, he humbled himself. Yes? What Philippians 2 says, he humbled himself. And the whole gospel record is a record of that. Let's turn to John 1, verse 14. John 1, verse 14. Let's read that. So who wants to read John 1, 14? I will. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and the only son who came from the father, full of grace and mercy and truth. Look at what these, these words say, men, brothers. Look at what these words say. The word, that divine logos in eternity past, right? One with the Father. Tabernacled, right, is one way you can say that, right? He tabernacled, right? He put on flesh and he dwelt among us. God himself. And we have a record of it right here. Amen. One of the greatest miraculous events in all of human history, and we got a record of it. And we can study it. And in that humiliation, in that tabernacle event, what does John say? And we have seen what? His what? Glory. His glory. We see Christ's, we see Christ's glory in his humiliation. In his putting on a flesh. In his obeying his father perfectly. In his declaration that I am the anointed one. I am the king of Israel. I am God come in the flesh. I am your savior. We see his glory. What else do we see? John 1.18. Michael, I know you raised your hand. Would you mind reading John 1.18 for us? Thank you. Get your mind around that. No one has ever seen God. That's true, but man, you can make a case for people like Moses, right? Moses saw him face to face, right? But not God's full glory, because what did God say to Moses? You can't look on me and what? Live. Live, you can't live. By the way, someday we will. No one has ever seen God fully and truly. But this passage says what, though? He's been made known. We know who he is. We know what he's like. God has been revealed. According to this verse, how? By the Son. 
by this enfleshed Son of God. There are so many who still have not heard the divine revelation of the one true God. There are still many who have never heard the good news of Christ. There are so many who have not had God revealed to them. But we do. And it's here in his son. Men, do you want to see God? Do you want to see what he's like? Look at the sun. Matthew 3.17. Let's turn there. Who'd like to read that? Matthew 3.17. Thank you, brother. Parallel passages to that, Mark 111, Luke 322. You can also see Matthew 17.5, Mark 9.7, Luke 9.35. Those other three passages, the Mark 7, uh, the Matthew 17.5, the Mark 9.7, and the Luke 9.35 are all the transfiguration. Those other parallel passages, Mark 111 and Luke 322 are talking about Christ's baptism. What do we see here? The Father's divine blessing and approval of his Son. Audibly, openly, approving of his divine servant, of his son. That this one here, I'm well pleased in. Who can God say that of? Now, in a sense, he could say that he's pleased in us, right? But ultimately, who's that true? He is well pleased in his son. He is glorified in his son. His true nature and character are seen in his son. Do you want to see God? Let's jump into the life of Christ and look at him. Let's see who he is. So, why should anyone study the life of Christ to glorify the son? For the study of his humiliation. Number five, to make disciples of this Messiah. Let's go to the passage we should all know and love. Matthew 28. Matthew 28. Verses 19 and 20. Who wants to read that for us? Thank you, Mr. Lottie. Disciples of who? Disciples of this Messiah, of this Christ. How can we be better equipped to do that? By knowing his life, right? 
by knowing his ministry. By knowing who he is and what he accomplished. Because we're supposed to teach him at least everything, observe everything he commanded, right? To obey all that he commanded. We can do that better if we study him, if we know him. Through his word, what he says. So, why should we study life of Christ to make disciples of that Messiah? Number six, to be faithful witnesses to this Messiah. Let's go to the book of Acts. We're going to camp out here for a minute. Book of Acts. Starting in chapter one. All right. Acts one, verse eight. Which one of you guys like to read that? Thank you, Mr. McAllister. Yes, sir. Christ commissions his disciples here, men, to be his witnesses. To witness to what? Him, let's flesh that out a minute, guys. Let's kind of open it up. What were witnesses of him? What's that look like? A a witness to what about him? Yeah, all of that, right? We could be witnesses to how he was the divine son of God who put on flesh about how he was without sin. I don't know about you, but that's one of the most amazing things to me about him. That he never cracked under the pressure. I don't even need to ask men. How many of us would have given under the pressure because every hand would go up? But one of the most divine displays of, of power and his total reliance in the Holy Spirit, and we'll talk about that, his reliance in the Holy Spirit. Even under the most intense suffering, the temptations, Satan fired everything he had at him. And Jesus just knocked it away. Can you imagine such power? That's power, isn't it? Because we have no hope without it. We have no hope without it. Isn't that right, men? Be witnesses to the fact that he was without sin. Be witnesses to the fact how he obeyed his father perfectly. Be witnesses to the fact of his great mercy towards sinners. And his opposition to those who would lead us astray. Be witnesses to his death and to his resurrection. And to see how all of that interplayed. How can we be better equipped for that? Studying the life of Christ. Let's jump down to uh, Acts 9. 
22. And Christ is a theme in the preaching of the apostles. Acts 9.22, this was mentioned last week, but it bears repeating here again. Acts 9.22, let's read, someone read that. Mr. Cranda. He confounded the Jews, and what did he show from the scriptures? That Jesus was this Messiah. Acts 18.28. Acts 18.28. You see that theme again. Who do we got to read for that? Thank you, Michael. Show from the scriptures that this Messiah that they were waiting for was this Jesus of Nazareth. And I'm sure in that sermon, he laid out his life and laid out his work, right? Or at least would allude to it. Even if the people who we are called to share the gospel with never come to faith. To be more faithful witnesses of him of this Christ, of this Messiah, of Jesus our Lord. To study his life will help us in that endeavor. Amen. Amen. At the risk of beating a dead horse, I think that this would really help in our apologetic. To the world, right, They the, the scriptures are just inscrutable, right? They just can't get to the bottom. They don't understand what they're about. Sometimes even believers don't even get to the bottom, you know, to understand what they're about. Right? Scriptures are not a collection of stories, although there are stories, right? It's not a collection of different types of literature, although there is different types of literature in it. It's not a tale of, it's not a, a book where which you draw principles out of how to live your life. Although there are things we are to draw from scripture and it does tell us how to live our life. Amen. It is a record. It is God's revelation to us of how he glorifies himself through the son of God. Jesus is the key to understanding all of this book. And the more we know him, the the better we can proclaim that word and how it all fits together. So for the unbeliever, this is not a book that is either like doesn't matter or it's too mysterious or it's filled with error or it's immoral, as the charge is now claimed, right? Is See the irony in that, right, that the world calls Christianity immoral, right? Woe to those who call good evil and evil good, right? But to get a, a handle and a deeper grip on the life of Christ, I think would help us give a better apologetic, a better defense for our faith and help the pieces come together for the unbeliever. How about this one? Number seven, to run our race. Let's go to Hebrews 12. 
verses 1 through 3. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. I shared about this at the men's uh, breakfast, particularly uh, verse 3. But I think this is helpful to read through yet again. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Someone care to read that? Thank you, Keith. One through three, one through three, yeah. Since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, right? And the cloud of witnesses, where's that? Where do we where do we read about that? Previous chapter, right? Previous chapter. So, so so great a cloud of witnesses, since we have all these who witness and testified to the promises of God, who are ultimately in Christ, right? Isn't it amazing, just as a quick side note, Hebrews 11, take a look at this. This is, this is great. Look at verses, uh, in verses 23 through 26, uh, 28 talks about Moses, right? How he had faith. And it, it's, you know, and the whole point of the Hebrews 11, right, is not to really glorify these great people of faith to say, you know, oh, these are, you know, I mean, they are great examples, but they're not the ultimate example to follow, right? Because there are some pretty shady people in right. Hebrews 11, too. But it's who they look to. It's what they're looking towards. Look at Hebrews 11. Look at verse 26. He considered the reproach of who? How did he know Jesus? Yeah, he knew revelation, not the book, but he knew divine revelation. He knew about the promises of the anointed one before that. How much? We don't know. But he thought the reproach of Christ or the Messiah, greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. He looked to the promise of the Messiah and said, yeah, all this that glitters in Egypt's not worth it. And look at how little he knew. And look at how much we know. How much more should we look at the the treasures of this world and go, nah, no thanks. Back to Hebrews 12. When we look to Jesus, right, looking to Jesus, we're to lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And verse 3, consider him, think deeply on. Meditate deeply 
thoroughly, completely on who? What's verse 3 say? Consider who? Who's the him? Jesus. That Sunday school answer you learned where the answer is Jesus, that's really going to come in handy in this class, I'll tell you. Looking to Christ, man, is going to help us to run our race. And we know how much help we need in the race, don't we? To lay aside our burdens, to lay aside our sins, and to withstand the persecution that the world brings. Believers already have a head, other parts in the world already have a head start on us. We'll get there. So then, here's apologetic for why study the life of Christ. There are, of course, many more. Any other reasons you got? What is another reason why we can study the life, why we should study the life of Christ? We've laid out seven. Anybody else? Be set free. Yeah, that's in salvation, right? We are, yes, we can choose not to sin, although we will, but right, but the enslaving power of sin is gone. Not sinless, but sinless. (laughs) By God's grace. Yeah, by God's grace. Amen. Yeah, Michael. Who needs some rest for their soul today? I do. We can learn of our Messiah. That's a great, I didn't even think of that first. Thank you, brother. That's great. Any other reasons why we should study the life of Christ? Elaborate on that. Man, right for our families, right? Do you want to instill the love of our of our Christ in your children and our wives? Lord knows we could all use more help on that. Amen. Any others? These are good. Amen. Yeah, to help us in suffering, right? The Bible says it's been granted to us that we suffer. It's a blessing. This suffering is coming, men, and it's already happening, already in parts of the world. Our neighbors up north are feeling it. But he's doing this because he loves us. Can we get our heads around that? I know I'm sure many of you have gotten your heads around that, but sometimes we need to get our heads around that all the time because it sure doesn't feel loving, does it? 
But if we look at Christ's life, and we see how much the Father loved him and was pleased with him, and how his life was filled with suffering, our perspective might change. So, Rockport men, we're going to study the life of Christ. We're going to do it because we need to stand in awe of and glorify and worship the Son. We need to stand in awe of Him. I want to stand more in awe of Him. So just look at that passage and say, and just sit back sometimes and go, glory be to Christ. Sometimes that's really just going to be all the application right there. Just look at what he did. To stand in awe and just say, can you believe he just said that? You ever look at a passage, something that Christ said or did and say, I can't believe he just did that. And you've looked at that passage however long you've been saved and like you've looked at that and man, it just jumps off a page at you. You're like, did he really just say that? Like things like, Which one of you can accuse me of sin? None of us would dare say such a thing if we had any sort of self-awareness. But not him. Sit back in awe of that passage and go, Glory be to Christ. So we're going to better understand the scriptures by studying the life of Christ, hopefully. To dive deeper into the eternal life we have. To begin to plumb the depth of the unsearchable riches of Christ, alluding to Ephesians 3, verse 8. Unsearchable riches. Man, does this make it seem like you're missing out on something there? I need some more of those. To disciple our wives and children. To make disciples of Christ. To present a more faithful witness. To help us run our race. Go to Colossians chapter 1. Chapter 2, excuse me. Colossians 2. Verses 1 through 10. The Colossian, the church in Colossae was in danger of being led astray from the fullness and completeness they had in Christ to listen to worldly Philosophy. Paul starts off in verse 1, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That was read earlier. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. There is a temptation. There is a danger to be led astray from arguments that seem plausible according to the world, but is not according to Christ. Verse 8. See to it. That no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Our world today is filled with empty deceit. 
filled with false philosophies. Things according to the thing, elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ that would lead us astray. Consider so-and-so this way because of this theory. Look at things this way because I said so and I have the power. Look at the world this way because PhD blah, 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 so-and-so said so. No. When we have Christ, how much wisdom and knowledge do we have access to? All of it. And if Christ said we are to consider no one according to the flesh through Paul, then we are to consider no one any longer according to the flesh, and that settles it. I think a large part of why the professing church is in such trouble today is they've said, now we need Christ in something else. We need Christ in this philosophy here. We need Christ in this wisdom here. We need Christ in this empty to see here. No. If you have Christ, you fear no man. Young men who are here, I want you to hear that. If you have Christ, you need to fear no man. Amen. You have all that you need in him. Now that means a lot of study and a lot of prep and to be and to dig into that and it's going to take your whole life. But you don't need anything out there the world's selling you. Because if you're in Christ, you have it all. So how are we going to study it? We're going to study the gospels expositionally. We're just going to go through the text and we're going to do it by means of a harmony. Brother, I'm going to have you jump in here. Thank you. So this harmony here, this is harmonized by A.T. Robertson. He was a Southern Baptist scholar. And how many of you guys have ever seen like a Bible harmony? How many of you are familiar with something like this? Okay. All right. So what a harmony is, right, of the Gospels, it's a, it's basically, it's a synchronization of the Gospel records is what it is. And so it's arranged like uh, chronologically and they put parallel passages together and it helps fill in a life of Christ as close as they can come to a chronological order. Now, I want to make this point that the words of Scripture, right, are divinely inspired, right, and they're inerrant in their original manuscripts, right, in the original documents, right? They're inerrant. Harmonies are not. Now, it has the inerrant word of God, right? They have it. But a harmony is a Bible student's best guess, so to speak, right? It's their best effort to try to bring all the events of the life of Christ together and to match the text together and say, based on what we know and what we study, this seems like this event happened next, and then this happened, and this happened. That makes sense, what I'm saying there? Any clarification need on that? So here's an example of a harmony. This is the triumphal entry. Okay, this is the triumphal entry. So you have, like, Matthew 21, 1 through 11, then 14 through 17, Mark 1, 11, and then Luke 19, right? And it goes through it, and then there's John. Now, notice there's nothing in the column of John yet, right? Because the gospel writers, they're, they pick and choose what they put in. That's not a deceitful thing, right? That's not subterfuge. That's just for their own purposes and what God wanted them to write. They just have a reason of including some things and leaving out others. And so we don't need to read the text, but if you, if you could just flip through that, brother. Right. 
So you've got these texts here, right? And it just, and you see like there's some stuff that matches. Now, okay, let's stop there. Now John jumps in, right? Like the Gospel of John, right? He leaves out, for example, if you go back just for a second, brother, if you go back. Talking about like untying the colt and the donkey. John doesn't say hardly anything about that. If you go down to the next slide here in John. Right? It's down in verse 14. So he just puts it like Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. He didn't give the example of the disciples going, finding this donkey. And if anybody has need of it, like, what are you doing? The map, you know, the Lord needs it. He just skips all that. So we're going to be going through a harmony like that. So, and I think it is legitimate to harmonize, right? I think it is. One great example is the book of John, right? I think John expects us to harmonize, right? There is, he's aware of Matthew's writing and Mark's writing and Luke's writing. He knows what they include. And so he supplements that. He expects you to know what's already in that text. So hopefully by our harmonization efforts, we will uh, use all the text to try to Bring a complete life of Christ together here. All right. So Lord willing, we'll go through the entire life of ministry of Jesus Christ. This is a big goal, but Lord willing, we're going to go through the entire life of Christ. All of it. We're going to take our time studying the life of Christ. We're going to have, hopefully, if I can be a better facilitator, open discussions and questions, interaction. I want us to be able to feel free to say, well, hey, what about this? Or, hey, I have a question about that. Or get your thoughts and interact. I want us to be able as men to be able to share with one another. And that's why next week some of us will move closer, Lord willing, so we can better facilitate that. I know, again, the auditorium is so spread out. we got a lot of guys here, but hopefully we can do that. And we're going to let the gospel speak and make application. But secondarily and importantly, we're going to take the attempt to make the application specifically to us men and how that affects us in our lives and how we can take what we see from Christ and what to do with it. And again, sometimes that's just simply worshiping and honoring our Savior. And then sometimes we take what our Lord does and we apply it to our lives as men, how we work how we study, how we love our families, how we pray, things of that nature. And I hope, men, that we are encouraged enough to get some of that power that we get through the studying the life of Christ and help us to meet the great challenge of being men in a world that's growing increasingly dark and be even more faithful to our Lord by the power of the Spirit. Amen. Any questions or Thoughts, guys?